On this episode of the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast, we speak with U.S. Army Major General Thomas Soldier, who's the U.S. Army Chief of Chaplains. And he looked at me one day when I was I coming, I, I'd gone to sick call, and he said, "Hey, is hey, Specialist Soldier, a rank which I had to earn and keep three times. Look at your uniform; it says us Army, <laughs> right? It's it, and yes, you have a name, but you're a part of something bigger than yourself." We are more connected if your audience could see my hands, right? Like the iPhone connected. Right, right. Social media. <laughs> we have more connections, more followers, than more before. than ever before. And yet we're more isolated than we've ever been. That's coming up next on the latest episode of the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Wherever you find American troops today, You'll find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the line. The Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome to another episode of the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. I'm Major Javon Starnes, the new PAO and host of the podcast. As many of you may know, 19th ESC is the largest forward deployed ESC in the United States Army, and its mission is to synchronize sustainment of the U.S. forces across the peninsula. The Every Soldier Counts podcast provides a platform for us to have thought-provoking conversations, learn, grow, and understand the unique stories of those assigned to the unit. In this episode, however, we're going to make a slight exception, as our guest is not assigned to 19th ESC, but is a clear representation of religious support. By way of personnel services, they are actually part of the four functions that make the sustainment warfighting function. Today, we get the honor of speaking with the U.S. Army Chief of Chaplains, Major General Thomas L. Sojum. Sir, I actually have your bio with me. Uh, a few things stood out. I'm not going to lie. I was reading over it last week and this morning to get ready for the podcast. And um, I see you enlisted in 1974, did some reserve time, commissioned in 1988. That's the year I was born, not dating anyone, sir. Uh-oh, that hurts. <laughs> also, you were assigned to 82nd Airborne Division, some time in the 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, you're no stranger to Korea as you were stationed in Camp Red Cloud with 2nd ID, some JSOC, USASOC, and my previous unit, Forcecom. Uh, you have five children, excuse me, four children and five beautiful grandchildren. Six. Oh, wow. Congratulations, sir. Without further ado, uh, we have quite some interesting topics to go over and discuss with you. Um, but overall, I wanted to just know and for our listeners, sir, what brings you to South Korea? Well, thanks for asking uh, Major Starnes, I, so as a chief of chaplains, I have two priorities, people and community, and traveling gives me an opportunity to do both, uh, to meet people, the wonderful people that serve in our Army, their families, and our civilians, and then to see how they are in community. And, and today in Daegu, Daegu um, it has been uh, just a uh, – this is an amazing community. Yes, sir, it is. Um, it is somewhat isolated. It's somewhat remote. I'm somewhat, it is, let's just say it, <laughs> right. but it's awesome. And the connections that I see in people, it's really an amazing testament um, how sometimes difficulty or hardship can bring people together. And I really see that in this community. Uh, the 19th Expeditionary Sustainment Command is huge, as you've already stated, in sustaining logistics support yes, to Korea. And uh, so... The ministry teams that are part of it are also a, a, a very integral, essential element of that sustainment, as you've mentioned. Yes, sir. And um, and so I'm privileged to make this trip 
and to meet the people and to see the community. And, and uh, frankly, uh, I, I spoke earlier today to a group and I said, I think I'm getting more out of this trip than I'm giving. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. All right, we're glad you're here, sir. We're absolutely glad you're here. Um, so also, I know with the Chaplain Corps, not many people know of it or what it can, it's comprised of. Can you please provide a bit of backstory on the Chaplain Corps and why it's important, sir? Yeah, so um, when George Washington uh, looked out at the Continental Army in 1775, and he realized that he was going up against the largest standing army and most professional army of its era and day, he's like, who's going to care for the, as he looked out over this Continental Army, shopkeepers, merchants, farmers, you name it, a hodgepodge. Um, he said, who's going to care for the soul of this? Because he realized that many of them were right. going to perish to fight for our freedoms. So he instituted um, one chaplain in the rank of captain hmm. with a horse and $20 a month. Oh, he assigned wow. to every regiment. He petitioned Congress for it. And if you can imagine Congress doing anything in five weeks, in five <laughs> weeks they had uh, a chaplain in every regiment Right. authorized and uh, so that was in july 29th 1775 and it exemplifies the importance of one's beliefs that every soldier is a valued soul person um, and they embody what they believe and the chaplaincy provides that free exercise of religion it does it pluralistically yes sir it does That's it true. for people of faith and people without faith um, and um, they're advocates advocates for the soldiers and their families. That's true. That's true. They they take care of them. And so traditionally, we talk about nurturing the living, caring for the wounded, and honor the fallen. That has really been our traditional roles. While we still do this today, um, we're burdened um, uh, by the realities of some of the challenges that we face in our environment. However. We have a chaplain corps that stands ready, always ready to take care of the soul of the Army, no matter what it faces. I hear that, sir. So I know the, the UMT teams provide uh, multiple services, and they have different types of coverage and responsibilities. Uh, could you shed a little light on that for our listeners who are not familiar with the unit ministry team? What type of support are you all able to provide? Yeah, so what, you're, what consists of is really the chaplain, um, the religious affairs specialist, or NCO, uh, directors of religious education um, that provide uh, that support to civilians. So they have unit programs, installation or garrison programs. Um, they provide services to all faith traditions, Christian faith traditions, Catholic, Islamic, Jewish, Buddhist. Um, and uh, they ensure that people's religious needs are met um, and they do it through a vehicle of provide, perform. Okay. All of us are endorsed by some faith tradition, and we're within that faith tradition able to perform certain things. Right. And where we're not, we're obligated to make provision or provide okay. for those who are of different faith backgrounds. So the chaplaincy is a unique, unique entity, and it's unlike any other army um, in how we provide religious support to a broad, diverse base of people. 
Um, we also engage in what used to be known as strong bonds. That's no more. As of 1 October, it's building strong and ready teams. Oh, really? And it's not just a name change, fancy name change. Hmm. It's really the focus of it is different where commanders are responsible for the program, which ultimately they're responsible for everything. Uh, the chaplain teams provide the support uh, and the expertise um, and together they develop a plan to ensure that soldiers and families most in need get the help they need when they need it and packaged in a way that provides the solutions that they need. And so you also find with the chaplains, they're trained counselors. The religious affairs specialists are trained um, and proficient in helping the chaplains with their duties. Okay. And they are, and if you think of it, the religious affairs specialist often much younger more connected than the chaplain to the younger soldier. So that's a very important bridge. Right, right. Yeah, to understanding what's going on in the formation. They they also provide advice to the command. They keep the command informed of morale, of morals, of the command climate. Right. So they're the eyes and ears. And they offer that con confidentiality, 100% confidentiality. You go to a chaplain, you tell a chaplain or religious affairs specialist something, you own that information. And we we like to say we take it with us to the grave. Right. And only you can give permission to do otherwise. And so that's a circle of trust that exists in the chaplain that you won't find in any other care provider. Um, and as a matter of fact, what people may not know is if you violate that trust as a chaplain, uh -oh. you are subject to UCMJ. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So there's an incentive to maintain that integrity of trust right. with the soldiers. So I, I really encourage your listening audience to take advantage. If I you agree. need somebody to talk to, the chaplain or the religious affairs specialist is a very safe place. I agree. I, I am one who uh, actually took took you up on your advice and uh, my wife and I would go to the marriage retreats, kind of get that one-on-one, -on -one, that overall group setting deal, and then break out in the small sessions to get that counseling. Uh, so we've done it since uh, for the last three or four duty stations we've been to. And from personal experience, I do vouch for it. Uh, it's not just a free trip, you know, in, in, in childcare service, but it's an opportunity to kind of grow with your family and one of the last ones that I went to was um, they went over the five love languages book. Yep. And ever since that, ever since we read that book and got more involved into that, we've been practicing and using the five love languages. And what I realized personally, I've, I'm able to use it on my children. So my oldest daughter, you know, she's words of affirmation. My son, uh, he's basically physical touch. You know, and then um, and over time, what I realized is that those love languages and that, that education that we got from that chapel retreat, uh, basically those love languages change. So I was able to take something I learned from the UMT team and incorporate it into my own family and basically improve my own marriage. Um, so that is one that I can definitely vouch for is uh, taking advantage of that UMT service that you all offer, sir. Uh, so I have another question, sir. Basically, yeah. uh, say I'm an initial entry soldier. I've never seen a chaplain spoken to a chaplain. What's something that I can expect from that chaplain or religious service, religious affairs specialist in that initial discussion? Yeah, that's so you are, you've already heard me talk about confidentiality. Yes, sir. But I what you should expect is no judgment. Okay. So, you know, we've had some recent changes like uh, don't ask, don't tell. Was yes, repealed. sir. And guess what? 
Guess who was going to talk to people before that was rescinded? Who's that, sir? The chaplain. <laughs> so numerous times over the course of years, I was speaking to people who were struggling with their sexuality. Yes, sir. Struggling serving while suppressing something. Mm. And who are they going to talk to? Well, they could come and talk to me. Guess, guess what? They own the information. That is true. That's good. And probably so, awesome. more people to come talk to you. So uh, really, you can expect no judgment. You should expect solu solution-focused counseling. Excuse me. And what I mean by that is, is hey, what's the presenting issue? Mm. And then how are we going to work together to find solutions to what you're faced with? And the answers sometimes may not be with the chaplain. It may be that the chaplain is going to refer you to somebody else. Um, and then they're going to be spiritually oriented solutions. We're going to allow you to be able to talk about things that maybe you wouldn't talk about with anybody else. So setting the conditions for that, um, that you're more, uh, than bodies in uniform, right? You're people and people come with different life experiences, different backgrounds, backgrounds yeah. and all of those things. And so you should expect from the chaplain and the religious affairs specialist, a team that is there to not judge you, but support you and get you the help that you need. And that's big. A lot of people need that support because you never know where they are in their life or, you know, they're products of their environment. And they came into the military looking for an outlet to better themselves. And they have a stumble, yep. you know, and it's, and it's good that we have this unit ministry team um, to kind of provide that guidance, you know, in that dark area that they're in. Um, so, so I heard you have your proof uh, that you can actually seek professional help and have a successful career without experiencing any kind of negative professional consequences. Would you like to tell us about your story a little, sir? That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, so, um, so I use the expression, oftentimes many come into the Army from houses, not homes. So I grew up in a home that became a house. My hmm. parents divorced. It was not a, a pleasant situation, and I became a very bitter, angry, resentful young man or young young person. St uh, struggled with drug addiction, uh, barely made it through high school. Wow. Um, was really kicked out of public school and sent to a parochial school, of which my grandfather paid the bill. Wow. So I was really a, a, a struggling young person and then joined the Army. I, you, I went into... Uh, the 10th of July, 1973, was the first day of the Volunteer Army. I went to the MEP station, got a letter from my mother, who was happy to have, happy to have me go anywhere, um, and uh, went in on the delayed entry program, which you could go in. I was 16 years old, but it didn't matter because the law said it was in between your junior and senior year of high school. Okay. So I didn't turn 17 until the fall. So I was 16 years old, had a letter from my mother, went to the MEP station and enlisted, and after I graduated, I was sent to my first duty assignment. I went to basic training in AIT at Fort Ord, and then I went to Germany, where um, all of my habits and vices uh, at that army of that time found a perfect incubator for them. So all of my addictions, uh, the life choices and behaviors just accelerated. Uh. And ultimately uh, led me to a point where of, of real depression, struggle, uh, two times drug overdose, wow. uh, lost rank to gain it back again, 
Um, so I was really a struggling person, and uh, and I was on a on a. You t- we talk about risk taking behaviors. I was taking all of them. Okay. And uh, and so, um, but what happened to me was we were li- in a time when the army was. We talk about racism and extremism today, or we talk about substance abuse. I would encourage your listening audience to know a little bit about history. Yes, sir. Yeah, that was a whole different time, and and racism was rampant. Uh, Extremists were visible. They wore their colors. They did. So it was a different time. And and, and, uh, it was uh, a, a time to really survive. And so what happened to me is I encountered a medic, Doc McElroy, Sergeant First Class, who saw the deep trouble I was in. He was a, a, a sharecropper's son from Kentucky okay. who had really, based on his growing up experience, had little reason to care for a white guy. <laughs> um, who had, he'd had two tours in Vietnam, so he'd seen a few things. And he looked at me one day when I was I coming, I, I'd gone to sick call, and he said, hey, is, hey, specialist soldier, a rank which I had to earn and keep three times. Wow. He said, uh, hey, um, is your life worth living like this? And, no, you know, nobody had ever asked me a question like that. Mm-hmm. Nobody had expressed that level of concern, and I, it cut quick and deep because I knew the answer was no. And then I remembered my grandmother. I remembered things in, as a child that, you know, uh, that awakened me to, hey, a different time of, uh, I remember my grandmother, she was really my spiritual mentor. Yeah. And I remembered the things. And and so he quickened in my spirit. He awakened my spirit to that life has got to have more to offer than this. It does. And so through that relationship with him, I came into a personal faith. Obviously, I'm a Christian. Um, and uh, and then he said, you know, you're, you really need to go talk to somebody because just because you embrace faith doesn't fix everything. And so he handed me off to the chaplain, who we didn't have one in the engineer battalion, so the infantry battalion, they had a chaplain. So I met Chaplain Sam Samford, two tours in Vietnam. He was a captain. Uh, and he and his wife, Linda, they just took me into their family. Yeah. So when I wasn't in Hornsfelt, Grafenveer, Vielflicken, you know, Reforger. Yeah. right. Because uh, you're an engineer battalion, so you're the first in, the last out, right? I was in their house on the weekends, and they showed me what a loving family. They embraced me. I, I found connection. Um, and as a result of that, as I was getting ready to leave, I was sitting in the chapel. That became kind of a place of a haven, a safe yeah. haven in that crazy environment. Yeah. And I remember praying a simple prayer. I said, God, I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life. I would do anything. And I want to confess to your audience, I did not like the Army. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do was make it a career. And so I said, you know, Lord, I'd do anything. I paused, and then out of my mouth came these words. I would even be an Army chaplain. Seriously. Because of the impression of the mentoring and care and love that Chaplain Sanford and his wife Linda had shown me. Mm. When I got up from that moment and walked out of the da- doors of that chapel, if I'd have met you on the street, Major Starnes, and you'd have said, hey, I hear you're ETSing. What are you going to do with your life? I would have looked at you and said, I don't know, but mm. I'm going to become an Army chaplain. That's bold. 
it was a it was an, a total shift in or, my life orientation. Mm. It was a very deeply spiritual connection that I felt. I now realized I have a, I have meaning. My life matters. It has purpose. It has direction, and I'm going to follow this path. It led me to marriage with my childhood sweetheart for now almost 45 years, four children, Congrats all married, three boys who've served in the military, six grandchildren. Wow. Life is good. <laughs> and I'm the chief of chaplains. Go pinch yourself. <laughs> How does Life that happen? Good. You spoke it, sir. I think you spoke it into existence that day. But um, that is that is bold, sir. That is a bold statement to make. And to have that motivation and that drive, I think that's something that our listeners who are dealing with any type of struggle can actually um, take encouragement from. Because sometimes it takes that little push or that example to see. And um, you just being that example, telling your story, how you were at your lowest of lows, you found something, you relied on faith, and then ultimately you you became someone that you aspired to be. I think that is genuine. That is the perfect example that these soldiers can have. Um, but also, I know that during those times, uh, you talked about the struggles, uh, which which brings me to my next topic of destructive behaviors. Excuse me, destructive behaviors. So when army leaders speak of destructive behaviors, what are they really talking about? And and what is your personal experience with such behaviors? Yeah, so the, the harmful behaviors that we talk about is anything that erodes or corrodes uh, the cohesion of a team. Okay. So we're never... Look at your uniform. It says "Us Army," <laughs> right? It's it, and yes, you have a name, but you're part of something bigger than yourself. Exactly. So it's never just about you, but it is about you. Mm. But it is also about others and how we relate to others on our team. And so when we sexually abuse, harass people, or when we exercise hatred to people we don't even know. Right. And when we act out in extremist ways, um, and when we do criminal acts, um, or when we consider taking our own life, which is really a gift. Mm. I mean, those are things that really are destructive uh, that you use that term because they're harmful. Okay. And they erode that very fabric of what is needed within an organization for it to be healthy. And you matter. It doesn't... You know, you may be going through a struggle, but you're, no one else can be or do on that team what you do. You bring something very unique to it. Yes, sir. So um, I, I'm i no stranger to those things you've heard me talk about. Absolutely. How I engaged in that self-destructive behavior. But I can also say that I'm also not a stranger anymore to what a healthy good life is like. Right. And I'll tell you what, they don't even compare. <laughs> yeah. And, and I live life both ways. That's really what I'm trying to communicate. That is awesome, sir. And uh, so there's only one path that provides a life that's worth living, that has meaning, that has purpose, and that ultimately brings peace. And that's the path where we disavow those things that would take us down. Mm. And we make choices to embrace things that give us life and build that cohesion on our teams because our teammates need us. You mentioned something that I wanted to, uh, this will be our last question, I uh, wanted to dig in a little deeper on. You mentioned uh, suicide. Um, and I know one of the big issues that continues to be a problem in the Army is suicide. Um, just recently, you, was at, you were at a ceremony um, where 
one of our members had received the coin for, you know, going into a burning building, saving 15 lives. Um, that same individual came and spoke to me later and said, hey, you know, we served together um, back at Fort Bragg. Do you know that a member in our unit had just recently committed suicide? And it's hurtful that it's so prevalent and it happens so frequently in the military. You know, so many people have had ideation or know someone who's actually went through with the action. How do you think we can change that culture um, to basically prevent suicide nowadays? Yeah, so I think it is a cultural issue. So the reason we have not only in the military, but in civil society an increase um, in these harmful behaviors that we talked about right. and high rates of depression, unprecedented high rates of depression, 40% increase in depression among young adults and youth uh, over the last decade, 40% increase. A 60% increase in medicating people for depression and anxiety. So we have become a culture, a, a pathology uh, in our culture um, is, to, is to inappropriately treat and over-medicate issues. That's, that's, that's one thing. Another thing is is that suicide is now in our culture sadly become more of an accepted option. That's the issue. All right, um, and there's good stigma and bad stigma. Uh, they are, you know, bad stigma in the sense of suicide is things that we keep you from doing it. Like, hey, if you take your life, you're leaving people behind. Yeah, you just mentioned effect. your teammates, the ripple effect. That bad stigma may keep you from bad action. Correct. Good stigma is having those those uh, feelings and then seeking help. Right. You know, so it drives you one way or the other. The one keeps you from doing the bad thing. The other drives you to getting the help for the bad thing that you're thinking about. And But we got to recognize what is prevalent in our culture and, and our part of our cultural dilemma that we face is we have become increasingly in our society and culture um, more spiritually non-conversant. About 40 years ago, we probably threw out, in an effort to be in, more inclusive of others, we kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater. Yep. Religion and spiritual life yep. were thrown out together. Now we have 40 years later, we've got a few generations. That, that generation had children. Mm. They've had children, and now those children are having children. And there's a void in the culture. They're lacking. They're lacking. And it's a lack of a spiritual core that's developed in community yeah. and connection with others. So we've become increasingly isolated. The, the Surgeon General of the United States recently declared that our number one health crisis is diseases of despair. Oh, wow. So when you remove things from your culture and society and you don't replace them with something, you have consequences. And so the army is a reflection of society. The army should also be a reflection to society. So we've got to tackle this problem together. And I think what I use the analogy, and I'll close with this if yes, I sir. could. If your audience could see my hands, if I hold them straight up, you know, straight up hands, right? Pillars. And those pillars are hope. They come from within. As I see the world, I reach out, right? Right. 
And what I believe about myself, what I believe about the world I live in, I, I extend out, it extends to you, to others. My hands are happen to be pointing up. Okay. So there's a belief in something beyond myself and beyond what I see as well. And you can, for every person, that's different. Mm -hmm. But if you know anything about construction, you need horizontal beams to support to support those pillars, those vertical pillars. And what are those horizontal beams? Well, it's family, it's friends, it's teammates, it's what you believe, it's your life meaning and purpose. Uh. It's how you view yourself. You just build the scaffolding. And then when you have a bad day, if you have scaffolding, you're not going to hit the ground. You don't fall too you far. May, you're going to hit a rung or two. You may need to lean on a friend today. Yeah. You may need to lean on your family yep. or a leader. That's another, yep. you know, leaders are tremendously yep. powerful. Um, and so what I see today in the soldiers is they lack scaffolding. Mm. And their hope is, their pillars of hope are pretty shaky because they're not grounded. And, you know, vertical beams, they don't stand very well. Elements come at them and yep. they can falter. And so what I would leave your audience with, suicide never took a life. But in every situation, a loss of hope did. That's powerful. Something must hold hope erect. It is the substance of your relationships. What we face today in the Surgeon General's uh, diseases of despair is what we call social, social isolation. We are more connected if your audience could see my hands, right? Like the iPhone connected, right, right. social media. <laughs> we have more connections, more followers, than more before. than ever before. And yet we're more isolated than we've ever been. <laughs> and the most tragic thing that can happen in a life of a person is to not know yourself. Think of that. Just let that sink in. We have oftentimes in our culture, people who don't even know who they are. They have no sense of purpose. They joined the United States Army to find it. We owe them our very best. We do. We owe them our very best. So I wanna thank you for the opportunity to yes, sir. speak to your audience today. And if you're a leader, and if you're wearing the uniform, you're a leader. If you're a leader, a leader's responsibility is to take care of your subordinates, your peers, and yes, even your leaders. <laughs> hey, we all need help. <laughs> we, we do. And the chaplain team is there to help you in those endeavors. Yes, sir. So God bless you all as you serve our great country and the Republic of Korea. Thank you, sir. Yes, yeah, sir, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate um, being able to provide a source of direction and hope to some listener who's out there who may have needed to hear that today. So I really do appreciate that. Um, we talked about a lot of things today, but I think listening to everything you spoke about, about your path and your way that you had um, to fulfill your life and make something meaning of your life and career and then prosper um, is a good example of, of that light that people can look forward to. As we close, I want to thank our listening audience uh, of the Every Soldier Counts podcast. And don't forget, you can listen to 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast on your current podcast provider or pretty much anywhere else by simply typing in the Every Soldier Counts podcast on your favorite search engine. You can also watch the podcast on 19th ESC YouTube channel. Thanks again to Major General Soljum, and we'll talk to you again on our next episode. Thank you.